Hello everybody, welcome to the ICS podcast. My name is Martin Calvert. I'm the marketing director here at ICS Digital and ICS Translate. Today, joined by Tom Williams, who's SEO manager at National Education Group. Uh, we're going to be talking about all aspects of SEO, the specifics of education as a niche, and I'm sure many other things besides. So yeah, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, everybody. So in terms of, I guess, giving our listeners a bit of an introduction to what you do, uh, and I guess the nature of SEO in the organization, can you give us a few details about, you know, uh, your role, what life is like, and I guess the the, the goals um, for SEO within the, the company? Sure. So I started at the National Education Group uh, in January this year, actually, so relatively new to the business. Um, SEO as a platform is also relatively new to the business. So the majority of their traffic prior to me joining was paid. So one of the core focuses of me me initially joining uh, is to bring down that spend uh, to make the the business more effective and efficient with with the budget. Um, About 20% of the traffic is organic at the moment. Um, So that's that's definitely uh, a core focus to, to begin with. Um, but I think the overall aim of the SEO strategy is to be the go-to uh, in the education sector for anything that people are searching for, uh, whether they're looking to understand uh, you know, some of the frameworks, uh, anything to do with Ofsted, you know, just anything at all within the education sector that schools are looking to know, we are there giving them that information and, and we, we're upskilling them. Um, so. I think obviously that that is um, a massive uh, target to, to reach, and it's going to take a long time to get to that point. But that is sort of like tying in with the overall mission of the business itself. Um, it's a relatively new business, so uh, founded in 2017, and since then uh, it's just gone from strength to strength as as, as a business and an offering for schools, academies, trusts. Um, so we we sort of deliver training and cpd for teachers and school staff governors school leaders um all over the uk um, and for international schools so which we're currently sort of breaking out into the international space as well uh uk's core for core market at the moment and uh, we're trying to sort of own that area area first and foremost but um that's sort of a, a you know brief brief overview obviously my my role um in terms of seo and how that ties in with the, the departments, uh, we, we've obviously got uh, the, the other marketing channels um, in full flow, paid search, paid social, uh, CRM, email, um, uh, and uh, we've got a team of designers, a, a large content team and researchers because content in the education sector has to be spot on. So we've got a lot of people researching the facts and researching before we push any content out at all. Um, and it's quite a rigorous QA process. Everything has to go through as well. Um, so obviously SEO is, is, a, is a major layer um, uh, to all of that. Um, so yeah, that, that hopefully gives you a bit of an overview of my sort of role. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting in that, you know, it's such a specific um, sector with such high quality thresholds, but even within the sector, you know, as a provider of training services to educational establishments, very specific audiences, you know, different types of buyer persona or people that can influence a buying decision. But then on the flip side, it's a very, very familiar tale of, you know, uh, especially in the current environment, companies looking to reduce emphasis on paid, where you can take up the slack on organic, um, where you can free up budget to get to those hardest to reach places, I suppose. And then also like how 
you know the role of SEO in, in the wider marketing mix. So it is great to have that um, you know wider team to to, to draw upon um, and to QA and get the quality there. But yeah, I think that 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 challenge and opportunity is a very familiar one, even to people you know outside of education. It seems to be a, quite a wide trend that that kind of balance between paid and organic. Um, as we say very often on this podcast, you know, Google isn't necessarily uh, people's friend when it comes to making the most of their budget. They've got their own kind of business goals. So, yeah, um, direct acquisition is definitely a priority. Um, you know, with all of those challenges and opportunities, what, what do you um, like most about it so far? What about the role? Is it, is it having that kind of, um, you know, opportunity to prove that certain techniques work or is it, is it something else? I think it's just the uh, the SEO as a, as a channel for this business is, is untapped really, um, and that's really exciting. I've gone into a few businesses in the past, um, exactly the sort of same role, um, and you know coming in, they, they haven't really done anything from from an SEO perspective, and it's sort of like a clean slate really. There's just so much opportunity to, to sort of go at. So it's important to obviously prioritise that opportunity and look at the. The low-hanging fruits first and foremost and the quick wins um which i've spent a lot of doing that uh, since i first started in january but yeah i think for me it's just the, the scope of opportunity there is within this sector for this business um, mm. they, they haven't really got a a, di a direct competitor so to speak there's other brands out there that are doing bits and pieces of what we're doing but we're sort of quite unique in, in our offering of, of online streaming CPD training for teachers and, and school staff. So it, that in itself is exciting because we've got a real good opportunity to own the space. And um, to, in order to do that, you obviously need to put a good um, SEO strategy in place and a good content marketing strategy uh, in place as well. And obviously that, that has the time with the rest of the business and how we push that across social, across across email, across all of the channels. So yeah, I think for me, that's, that's probably the most exciting um, prospect. And, and yeah, the reason I was sort of drawn to this role um, initially was just the scope of opportunity there is. But with that kind of scope, as exciting as it is, um, as you mentioned, you need to kind of prioritise. So like, what is your um, starting point when looking at opportunities? Um, do you take like a technological point of view, look at what like different tools are saying, or is there something more um, qualitative? Because as you said, there's not, <laughs> there's not that many business competitors for what you do but there are competitors in the search you know there are people who are taking up positions for related terms so <clears throat> what's your starting point is it to look at what tools are saying about keywords and volumes is it kind of looking at how others conduct themselves with content the problems that they seek to solve or questions they seek to answer or what's the starting point to get a you know a prioritized strategy in place not and not to try and do everything all at once for sure. So I think for, for me, um, whenever I've gone into any sort of project like this, you know, a starting point for, for an SEO strategy is the, the research phase and looking at competitors. Obviously, as I mentioned, yeah, you mentioned there's no, so to speak, direct competitors, but we have search results com competitors, you know, people that are, are ranking for the terms that we're going to be targeting. Um, so looking at first and foremost at those guys of where they're sitting in the search results for, for the core terms that we want to target, uh, what they're doing well, what, what content they've got, why are they being surfaced on page one for those search terms that we're going to be going after? Um, and then sort of bringing that back to, uh, you know, 
our, our content and what we've already got versus the gaps that we're missing out on. So I think for me, the, the first step is, is, is key and it's that research phase of just understanding the market, the sector, who's out there, who are we competing against, even if they're not direct competitors, who is it that we need to jump above in the search results? What are they doing well? Uh, what, why actually are they not doing so well that we can improve on so we can jump above them, understand that. And I think that that is a key piece. Obviously, we in order to rank above them, we need to be putting out higher quality content and then we need to be um, you know, better than them essentially uh, to, in order to beat them. So I think for that, that's definitely for me a, a key starting point. But I, I would also, uh, I've got a very heavy technical SEO background. So I think the foundations of, of an SEO strategy um, also have to start on the technical side because you could create the most amazing content and try and out, outrank your competitors in the search results. But if that content isn't being found effectively, it's not being crawled uh, from Google's perspective as effectively as it could be, you know, we're not going to rank as well. So I think technical SEO um, is my heavily my background when I started um, in this industry and, and, and at a marketing agency. And so for me, that that building out the foundations of the website, fixing any issues that, that we've got on site, making sure that everything is crawlable and indexable is super important. But yeah, I think competitor research and that whole phase uh, to start with is super important as well. So I think those are my two sort of go-to areas to begin with that really then start to shape the strategy and actually look at, you know, what, that allows you to place the priorities in terms of, okay, what do we need to fix first and foremost? What are the biggest issues we've got on site? But also where are the biggest opportunities in terms of, um, keywords and search terms and core areas, topic areas, potentially where we've got more volume and maybe less competitive. So we know that, yes, there's decent volume here. It's less competitive. Let's target that first rather than the more competitive space. Maybe there's more search volume there at this point in time. Maybe it's a lot more competitive than other areas. So maybe we shelf that one for now and look at lower search volume areas that are less competitive, break into those spaces. And obviously that will have a knock-on effect on the, the other more competitive terms as we start to rank for more uh, as time goes on. So um, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of would be my starting point. I mean, that sounds like a very good logical strategy. I mean, it's one thing to know what to do, but you need to know the right order to do it as well. So that, that starting point of, you know, identifying are there any blockers, anything that's going to prevent the site taking off, that's um, it's, just, it's something that, you know, not everyone prioritizes straight off the bat. They assume that Google will figure it out, but, you know, if you have no index part of your site, then uh, that's not going to happen. So yeah. you know, can't leave it all up to Google to figure it out. Um, and that's something I think, you know, that, that's a, an issue for multiple industries, not just your own. It's yeah. having that, you know, measured approach to what's possible. And more than that, just the, the practical business case as well of SEO, if it is something new to the company or new-ish to the company, showing some, you know, achievable wins rather than going all in on a 48-month strategy. You might not have the runway for that in a new role, so, you know, Certain individuals, so yeah, so showing showing forward momentum, I think, is a really good uh, principle to to take forward. But you mentioned content there and the importance of quality content. Um, so we can't really talk about that without talking about you know Google's updates over the past year, of which there have been many, most of which are content related or quality um, related, um, and I suppose. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree, but um, you know, education does seem to fall in, or at least be adjacent to those, you know, your money, your life niches. You know, the the obligation to be correct and to give accurate information and in education is very yeah. important. 
So how do you reflect that in the content you produce? Um, is it something where you need to rely on internal experts? Can, you know, um, non-specialists go part of the way to help out? What's, what's the kind of approach there to um, up the tempo, but also maintain quality? Yeah, I think there's there's um, there's a few parts to this. I think obviously there's there's uh, external experts in their field. So um, I specifically for the education sector, first and foremost, uh, we work with hundreds of experts uh, in their own fields to create our courses and webinars and all of our content. Uh, but then also we have a team of internal experts as well that have been in the sector for a long time and know the ins and outs of everything that there is so working the internal team working with the external experts works really well for creating that content that is spot on um, and i think that potentially you know that that also could work well in any sector because with um, the the eae eat algorithm obviously they've added the the extra e on the front it's a um, bit hard basically. to pronounce unfortunately yeah i, I, I eat sounds, <laughs> i'm not yeah, sure it sounds slightly unhinged but yeah i guess we only think yeah <laughs> um obviously we, 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 with that you know it's all about sort of the the expertise and and um being an expert in in the content that you're you're putting out and actually having that expert knowledge without uh, throughout the content sorry um is, is so key now for from google's perspective and and i think you know for any sector um making sure you're working with external experts if you don't have any that are sort of like you know fully experts internally or looking to hire you know internal uh people for internally for the business that are experts in the field so i'd imagine in a lot of sectors that you know people within businesses already have a certain degree of knowledge and i think that plays in nicely like you said there'll be like maybe you know part they could get part of the bank and then get things curated by external experts in their field that you can partner with um, and sort of like then you know place that within the content to showcase that you're actually working with experts in the field so that google can see that and, and, and users can see that so they know they can trust the data a little bit more than just you know if, if your internal team was pushing out you know yes they may be fairly uh, have good good expertise in the industry but they're not actually recognized experts so i think it's that additional step of having that external um, expert that is recognized in their own field there's a certain element of authenticity that comes in as well because you've got people that can mimic being an expert but then you have the actual experts i think sometimes the challenge this is something that we've kind of uh experienced slash uh, balanced over the years because one of you know one of the you know things that we're known for is working in very regulated very competitive sectors so like law health and finance and beyond and sometimes the challenge there is you have the legitimate experts in some element of I don't know, corporate law or whatever, but they're not um, necessarily used to writing for the web. So that's where they might need a bit of an, a bit of an assist. Um, and you might have the flip side where some people might be really up to date on EAT with however many E's there are now, but they don't have the legitimate first-hand expertise. So it's about you know, doing a bit of hand-holding on both sides, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, yeah, it's um, it's a good sort of way to, way to uh, put it, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, do you perceive, <clears throat> I guess these algo updates will always continue, but are there any other trends in your industry in particular that you think will impact the SEO plan you put together? For example, are, you know, 
competitors and like you know competitors in search, I should I should say, are they becoming more savvy about SEO? Are they putting more into paid? Is there any other kind of thing that might make you want to adapt on the fly to you know external uh, developments? Yeah, I think you know there's there's definitely. Uh, a lot of elements in the search results, such as, you know, more rich snippets appear. And obviously over the last sort of like, you know, number of years, um, there's, there's been a lot more rich snippets like FAQs um, and, and different things like that appearing in the search results. People using structured data to, to, to achieve those uh, snippets. And obviously that allows someone, to, uh, you know, a person's website to stand out more uh, within the search, to take, a, take up a little bit more of that real estate. So I think, definitely there's an area there that you know need to be thinking about how any content that you're sort of um, creating you know is there a way we can you create that content to to enable us to gain certain rich snippets to stand out a little bit more in the search results so that we can gain an edge because um i, I mean especially in the um the, this this sector the education sector i think any, every, every sector to be honest that you know, you, you go to the search shops now, you type something in, you type a question or something informational based, you're looking for information. Nine times out of 10, you'll get like an FAQ rich snippet on the search results, you know, um, and, and things like that. So I think it's just gearing your content up towards um, achieving that. And obviously you've got your feature snippets and, you know, how to um, fit rich snippets and all that. There's there's more, there's loads more. There's obviously loads of types of structured data that you can use. But um, I think that for me is a core area that if you're if there's competitors in the search shorts doing that and they're getting the snippets and you're not you know you're at a disadvantage straight away even when you get onto page one because you don't stand out as much um, and and i know for sure i'm sort of drawn as i'm searching personally i'm drawn to results like that because yeah they just stand out a little bit more and you you your eyes just sort of flutter over to them immediately yeah. I mean, so as you say, for me that's one core area they're taking up that real yeah. on the page i think sometimes you know people can be disheartened if they see there's already a snippet there and think well how do i beat that but, you know, even on a human level, sometimes that snippet is not the best answer legitimately, but Google will put up what is the, the best one available. So there are opportunities to displace people. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about, you know, I mean, I suppose it is a B2B organization in terms of the function. So when it comes to lead generation and the role of content, do you differentiate in terms of the plan or the volumes of that kind of top of the funnel stuff, the informational stuff that might come into, you know, rich snippets um, that might not lead to a sale or a positive conversation versus the bottom of the funnel stuff where people are literally looking for courses, professional development, and very specific education topics. How do you prioritize there? Because the volume might be quite significantly different. Yeah, I think there's, there is a fine balance to, to be had there. And obviously, um, bottom of the funnel and actually, you know, the, the terms that people are searching for when they're sort of potentially more, you know, ready to purchase, they're looking to buy a course or enroll on a course or watch a webinar on something very specific that they know they're looking for. Um, so I think it's key for for those terms to make sure that, you know, obviously you're in those positions to, to get that traffic. But also, I think the, um, the more top of the funnel awareness pieces that you know, people are just starting their journey off and they're just searching for questions, they're looking for answers. Um, you know, maybe uh, people like uh, teachers themselves just looking for information, how to do something or what something means. And obviously there's more volume for a lot of those top level question related terms, but the volume probably, you know, is, is more informational at that point. So it's not likely that you're going to get a, 
an immediate conversion off that. But I still think that from an awareness and a brand perspective, it's super important. So I think there's a fine balance. And, and the, the way that I've looked at it um, so far for um, National Education Group is we're sort of focusing on, on uh, both areas, but I've first and foremost focused more so on the, the quick wins, the low hanging fruits on the, the bottom of the funnel core areas and core terms alongside also working with the content team to look at um, some of the core gaps of uh, informational pieces that we're actually missing so some of the most important areas that uh, of, of teachers and, and staff are asking questions and we don't actually have content so we're sort of focusing on both but uh, just with the informational content focusing on the the more core gaps that we've got and, and um, areas that we need to be answering questions on and then obviously bottom of the funnel um, is what makes the market move in terms of revenue generated through the, the organic channel so obviously that's super important and I think there's there's a fine balance to be had but obviously because longer term you know a lot of businesses aim to be that go-to for, for any within their sector so I think there's always there always needs to be a focus on that informational content even though it may not immediately generate conversion it's it's about getting front of, front of mind of the customer. So the next time they're looking for something or searching for something or potentially further down the line, looking to actually enroll in a course, we've given them the answers before. So I think there's a fine balance we have behind between both stages there. It's also about what you want your organization to be. I mean, we see this in multiple sectors, you know, some people want, you know, not to focus just purely on the pounds and pence in the, in its entirety. It's also like, how can you be a real authority in that sector? How can you be trusted? And, you know, one of the big parts of being trusted is giving stuff up for free, you know, giving information that might not immediately benefit you. But, you know, if you can be a resource to somebody else, you know, a stable, stable kind of presence that people encounter time and again, you know, that does have an effect. You know, that's something to, to bear in mind. And the interesting part of this is we're talking about it not from a blanket, you know, out of home advertising campaign like coca-cola putting stuff everywhere but you're talking about it in a more meaningful way being there when people need you um yeah that's something that, that comes up quite a lot for us especially for new market entrants um so we're talking a lot about content here um so the, <laughs> the, the obligatory question for 2023 and probably beyond is um you know what, what are your thoughts on the role of like chat gpt um ai content more generally what kind of opportunities might there be? What kind of risks might there be? What's your, what's your current thinking on the state of play for this? And I suppose other industries as well. I talk about it um, everywhere at the moment. Chat GTP, GPT, sorry, um, um, Bing, obviously, you know, and and um, and Google releasing uh, Bard as well, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think from, from my perspective. Um, and I think, you know, re reading a lot about it and there's, there's lots of people have got a split decisions and you know, people starting to use um, use this these sort of um, AI models for actually creating content. Um, but for me, I, I still think that even if you're if you're using it to create content, there still needs to be a heavy involvement from a from a person, and especially in certain end industries like the regulated ones. I think because you need to make sure that that, that content is is accurate, and you're getting the expert input into it. So for for me, I, I still think that. 
were it, it's it's not going to become mainstream just yet in terms of using it but I, I have used it actually quite a lot for generating things like meta descriptions i've been used for a lot of um, pages on our site we've got little intros to courses and webinars and and they're quite they're a little bit longer um it's quite handy you pop that that piece of content in and it rewrites it into the format of a meta description and you can just send to check that and you know we've got hundreds and thousands of courses on the site so that makes it a lot easier to speed things up a little bit so i think for me it's about using it to be more efficient in the stuff that you're doing, the research you're doing. Um, it, it can do a lot of um, identifying questions for for topic areas that you can that, that you can you can ask within your content, um, keyword research, you know, article outlines, um, ideas. So I think for me, it's all, it's using it to be more efficient within the work that you're doing, uh, more than actually using it to create content at the moment i know a lot of people are starting to play around with using it to actually create pieces of content but yeah for me i i still think that you know it's super useful for that research phase before you then actually create the, the content yourselves and use that the industry experts to do that so yeah, yeah i think having having a, having a prompt of any sort is a of, of benefit at times i mean we've got a massive horse in the race because we do produce millions of words of content but I think if it was like an existential threat to that part of our business, I think we would kind of adapt and figure out ways to you know, do what we do and, you know, you know, integrate what is of most benefit to our clients. What we found through our own experiments is similar to yourself, writing prompts to doing very short snippets is, is could be a benefit as a labor saving um, approach. But I guess with the, you mentioned the, the Bard launch, we can't kind of get away from the business side of AI content. And, you know, does Google want to reward any competitor that isn't them? <laughs> so that, that's kind of the, I think our current thinking, given how detectable anything above, I don't know, 200 words yeah. is, that's, that's kind of the business side. Will it, will Google reward it even if it's good? That's the, the kind of, uh, my kind of cynical view of Google. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, really good insights. I think it's definitely worth experimenting with. Uh, yeah, across all sorts of industries. Um, yeah, definitely. So we've co we covered quite a lot about um, <clears throat> excuse me on-site content, but I guess when we're dealing with SEO in its totality, we've got to talk about the off-site dimension. And I guess there's certain, I guess you'll correct me if I'm wrong, certain advantages, I suppose, for you guys, given your space in the industry and the type of institutions that you partner with. Is that is that good for off-site SEO, link acquisition? you know, a friendly brand mention here and there. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, so far since I joined the business, um, it, it's not, we've sort of touched upon the off, off page things a little bit, not as much as um, I'd have hoped to yet, but yeah, I think we've, we work uh, with a lot of schools, a lot of academies, you know, and, and a lot of institutions and um, experts that also work for those institutions. And um, we've got a lot of back, strong backlinks from those, uh, those institutions and those schools. Um, there's a there's a lot of work from my side to, that um, I'm going to be looking at in terms of making sure we're making the most of those partnerships because at the moment a lot of them we don't. Um, and actually, existing partnerships that we've already got with a lot of businesses, we can leverage those a lot more than we currently do. So yeah, I think there's a definite benefit being in this this sector and being in the position we are. We can um, leverage those those relationships that you know we're currently not not doing that um, as much as we could be. So that's a big area. Um, but I think yeah, overall, I, I still believe you know as a backlinks and domain strength uh, is super important. I know there's there's I mean there's always news stories from 
uh, people like Gary Isles and um, and sort of um, John Muller and, and people like that saying, you know, links aren't as important anymore. Um, but obviously, I, I still see there's, there's you know, they're still one of the most important factors when it comes to um, how well a website ranks organically. Sometimes you do, you know, there will be cases where there's a piece of content that has zero backlinks that ranks on in position one because it's amazing content, but you know, there are still um, a lot of sites that have strong uh, authority for, from a domain perspective, and, and as a result, they rank really well. So, yeah, from my perspective, I think balance is still really important going into, into 2023, and it still needs to be a core focus within any SEO strategy. I'm trying to, even from a site discovery perspective, it's how Google crawls the web. This is how it works, yeah. you know, as a purely mechanical consideration. Yeah. It's there. But I think, you know, what you said there about, you know, um, I don't know what the right phrase would be, but making use of the advantages that you have, that even the untapped opportunities, yeah. that's a great position to be in. And again, you know, we always like to try and, on these kind of podcasts, try and uh, give some snippets of advice to people in different sectors. But so I'd say that'd be one of them. You know, no matter what sector you're in, B2B or B2C, there will yeah. be some kind of untapped opportunity, some type of leverage you've got based on the type of business that you are. And it might be on-site, it might be off-site, but yeah. Certainly in this case, looking at um, customers who are supportive, um, industry bodies, academic institutions, local government, perhaps there's all sorts of um, sources of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say links, but, you know, of of building your footprint online. Yeah, and I think definitely. Something where a bit of tenacity goes a long way. So, yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, we're kind of running short of time, so we've got a couple more questions. I mean, you mentioned at the start, you know, taking quite a deliberate approach to setting up a strategy. So finding any blockers initially, then moving into a more um, staggered, logical approach with quicker wins, <clears throat> but with an eye on what the, the bigger, uh, perhaps money terms might be. Um, what kind of data do you draw upon um, for, for campaigns? Do you... Um, you know, I guess there's certain tools you draw upon, but what kind of metrics or any kind of um, other sources of insight that you can kind of take to apply to strategy? Um, anything you can recommend other people uh, draw upon, that'd be quite useful as well to hear. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think for, for me, um, I've worked with a lot of uh, tools and, and platforms um, over my time within the SEO industry. Um, and for me, um, SEO Rush um, is, is is a you know a great go to tool that um, provides a lot of insight into uh, the, the sort of keywords and, and core terms that you need to be targeting and looking at the competitive data around those terms, um, what the intent is of, of those. Um, it, it sort of you know the last couple of years improved the uh, the way that they report on intent of keywords. Um, and sort of, you know, what search features are present for each of those terms as well. So you can understand the landscape um, for, for the terms that you're you're looking to target um, and what opportunity there is there um, in terms of what, what sort of snippets you, you need to be looking at if you're going to compete in that space for those terms. Um, but, but I think, you know, obviously search volume um, sometimes needs to be taken with a, with a pinch of salt because, you know, it's not, always that, that accurate um, and 
you know, I've seen in the past where there's a, a, a search term where it's sort of, you know, on average gets 10 monthly searches and we've ranked in position one for that term and, and monthly traffic as a result has, has sort of, you know, been way over the the, the 10 average that, that that's been reported. So it's taken with a pinch of salt there, but this search frame gives an idea of, of the, uh, the opportunity there. Um, and, and keyword difficulty percentage as well is, is an interesting metric that looks at um, how competitive each term is that I think it's, it's a good one to draw upon again not sort of solely rely on that but it gives you a good indication as to you know how easy it's going to be to uh, break into that space um, as it were or how difficult it will be to uh, maybe you know think about targeting that targeting those terms further down the road um so yeah I think rush for me is a, is a good go-to um overall but I think there's obviously very there's loads of tools out there that do a similar sort of job um more enterprise level platforms for, for your larger businesses that um, I've worked with in the past as well um, that sort of tie in the the content strategy within that as well you know so um, yeah I think that very top level um, for me that's always a good go-to then. Yeah it makes sense I think the point you mentioned there about the keyword volume or search volume rather <coughs> being a bit um, uh, totally out of sync with reality I think that's a really good point to bring up because these these databases and platforms don't update as often as um, people often think, particularly if we're in a very specific niche, you know, there's certain you know things that won't get refreshed as often. So yeah, test, but also validate. That's again, something that comes out quite a lot. And that, that's also a way to kind of bring more human insight into this as well, because somebody who is led entirely by tools could be missing a trick and that's something for you to capitalize on Again, that's another point that isn't just specific to education, but other sectors as as well. Um, so we, we often like to close on this type of question or a variation of this question, um, which is when you're building a high-performing team, um, what what's the best approach for you? Um, I mean, in your case, you, you brought up the importance of other departments and other stakeholders and experts. Um, how do you get them working harmoniously? Um, you know, pretty much everyone we speak to they don't have the unlimited resources it would be the dream so there's always got to be some kind of you know um consolidation of effort so what what, what kind of recommendations would you make for people building a team and how do you guys uh, do it yourself i guess it's a work in progress at the minute yeah 100 percent. it's a work in progress there's um there's uh, it, we've gone through a very steep hiring curve the last sort of six months in the business and, and we're building uh, an internal marketing team as we speak really um but you know for, from past experience and um from current experience in, in in this role um i think it's just you know the the all of the marketing channels uh, you know have to integrate because the customer is only getting that one experience they they are going through that journey maybe their first touch point is an organic listing then the next touch point is a paid ad and they come back via an email uh, and then they see us on social um, so all the way through that journey, that needs to be consistent and given the, the right message at the right time. And in order, in order to do that, obviously, it's crucial for that integration. And I know I've seen it a lot where it just hasn't, it doesn't link up and doesn't work. The, that integration, to get that right, it's, it is difficult. And I've seen it a lot over the time when I worked agency side and any different businesses, um, you know, the, the struggle to achieve that integration but i think it's just having that mindset of you know whatever you're doing 
always think of how it's going to impact the bigger picture, the other channels. I think always have that at the back of your mind. And, and, and we're, I think what we're trying to achieve with the, the team we're hiring is hiring people that uh, are very tenacious. They're always um, up to date what's going on in the industry and they always have in the back of their mind, almost, I, you know, refer to it as a, a bit of a cliche, but T-shaped marketer because, you know, you've got your specialism, but your mind is always looking at the other channels and how that impacts the whole journey. And I think for an in-house role, um, and actually working in, in within a business that is crucial to the success of the business as a whole. So yeah, that that for me is um, one of the, one of the core things is just having that people that have that in the back of their head at all times of, of how it's going to impact other other channels and the business as a whole. Whenever you're doing anything, that's a really good point. I think you you mentioned that kind of affinity for the customer as well. You know, because as you said, they're they're not differentiating between you know, the source of what they're consuming, the content they're consuming, they just see it as you. And yeah. you see it all the time. It can be um, of disproportionate impact in both directions. If people get a truly seamless experience and everything is consistent across the board um, and they feel taken care of and ushered in, that's yeah. tremendously powerful. But similarly, if there is disjointedness, inaccuracy, conflict, conflicting information... Yeah. It does the exact opposite job, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. In that case, it'd be, it'd be better to focus only on one channel than to try this multi-channel approach because you're you're pushing the customer away. So yeah, lots of work for some people in some sectors for sure. Yes. I think as a <laughs> as a watchword, that's really really good advice. So we've been talking for quite a while. Covered <laughs> a lot of different topics. We talked about you know putting a plan together, you know prioritizing effectively, leaning on other stakeholders, utilizing expert content. Uh, but, you know, supporting through SEO Insight. We talked about the potential benefits and limits of AI content. We've talked about um, the nature of uh, off-site SEO and, you know, being quite opportunistic with the advantages you have available to you. So, yeah, I think that far-reaching conversation. So, yeah, we can't thank you enough, Tom. And yeah, thanks again for being on board. No problem at all. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you. And uh, yeah, we've, we've covered a lot. And I could talk about SEO all day, to be honest. So, <laughs> cheers, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, Martin.